Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. Welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you for making the podcast a part of your day on what is a very busy sports day, at least in the college football world. Not so much news working around Ole Miss camp right now, which is a good thing. I told you on Monday that they got a very good result in their most recent round of COVID testing. No new positives, which means they are about to be at full strength, but their opponent may not be in the same boat. So we'll talk about that coming up a little bit. The Big Ten has decided that suddenly it's safe to play. They have reversed course just four weeks after Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the league, said uh, that they will not re-vote and they're not going to revisit a return to play. They've decided to do that anyway, so a lot of things to get to when it comes to that. And of course, the way it's been covered. Also, Terrence Davis. In his first year in the NBA, making second team all-rookie team. So we'll talk about all that coming up right here again on the Rebel Report. Follow me on Twitter, at Michael Borky. I have the occasional pretty good tweet, so follow me there. Uh, I do uh, talk a lot about uh, uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi sports when uh, appropriate, but also NFL and stuff like that. So follow me there if you are on Twitter. So we're going to get to all of this coming up, but first I do want to remind you that the podcast is brought to you every single day by LBs just across from Kroger. On University Avenue right there in Oxford, it's the best place in Mississippi to get your meat. Also, go by, see Greg, tell him we sent you, but also get one of their daily lunch specials Monday through Friday. They are open seven days a week, but the lunch specials are there for your weekday, and I promise you it's better than whatever you brought in your lunchbox to work. I can guarantee you that. So go by LB, see Greg, tell him we sent you just across from Kroger University Avenue there in Oxford. So this Florida thing now uh, is fascinating and has direct implications on their season opener uh, against Ole Miss. The Orlando Sentinel reported yesterday, which by the way, uh, Dan Mullen is famously very anti-talking about injuries. In fact, he actually gets mad at people for asking. Um, Acts like a petulant child, if we're being honest, when asked uh, about injuries. So he and his programs have never really released that kind of information. And so we're not going to know who these players are We're probably not going to know um, who else is having to sit out because of close contact uh, until really the game begins. Uh, That's my guess. I mean, I could be wrong, but the way he's handled stuff like this in the past tells you that you're not really going to know how impactful this really is until the season opener. However, according to the Orlando Sentinel, on Tuesday, Florida reported six new positive cases of COVID-19 within the football program, which is a week, give or take, before the season opener. And uh, they also had to cease activities with the lacrosse and baseball teams due to excessive positive results for whatever that's worth. Uh, 31 positive cases on their lacrosse team, which is something I didn't know they had, and baseball had 15 of them. Uh, So not good for either one, but uh, six new cases within the football team. And again, we don't know exactly who they are or if anybody else is uh, going to have to sit because of close contact. That is generally how that works. Those six guys probably weren't just by themselves, and there are potentially more, though we won't know. And the the thing is, when it comes to this news in the season opener against Ole Miss, if it was between 
I mean, at the at the absolute latest, last Saturday, if they got tested between Saturday and today and got the positives back, th- at least those six players cannot play in the game. They won't make it. Lane Kiffin has talked about it before. I've played you that audio. There's just not enough time for them to get through the, the 10-day quarantine period and then test negative and then get back and ready for the game. And even if they were able to do that, I mean, they're missing the most valuable practice time of game prep, even if they are able to come back. So we don't exactly know what the timing is, but the presumption is they're probably not going to be available for the game. And because none of this makes any sense at all, the close contact guys, if they are having to sit any because of close contact, have a 14-day quarantine period where the positive tests are now down to a 10-day quarantine period. Explain that to me. I I know, it doesn't make any sense at all, but that's the reality. So... Again, we don't know who it is, but a very different uh, bill of health from Florida uh, than you get, at least currently, from Ole Miss. Now, they still have to get another round of negatives and another round of negatives before uh, it's time to play. I think they have to do three more, right? Today's Wednesday. They get tested three times a week. So, yeah, they'll they'll have at least three more. And all of them uh, have to... All of them have to be negative or else Ole Miss will have a a similar problem. But this is still potentially big news. And I I know this has kind of rubbed some reporters the wrong way. Uh, College football writers think that uh, these schools should be far more transparent about their COVID positives and stuff like that. I'm not going to be that guy. As long as they are reporting it to the, the medical people, which I guess it was one of the guys from The Athletic yesterday said that the lack of transparency is making it hard on the medical people to track cases. And, I mean, how do you know that these six players from Florida, uh, which are in the news, even though you don't know exactly who they are, uh, have not been appropriately contact traced to other people and have been reported to medical officials? Just because they don't tell you, the sports writer, doesn't mean they're not reporting it in the right places. Um I mean, I guess I get why they're concerned about the lack of transparency, but um, I don't need to know who they are. I mean, it's tough, right? Because it is a pandemic. It's not a typical injury, but uh, that's how they're treating it because that's what they know. And I promise you the health department at Florida and in the state of Florida know who these kids are. So just because it's not in the report doesn't mean that they're not doing the right thing. I just, I hate the immediate implication of Florida's doing the wrong thing because me, the sports media guy, doesn't know their names. I think that's, that's skipping a few hurdles, you know what I mean? But anyway, uh, that rubs people the wrong way. I I think we won't find out really until kickoff how many players will be available or not. Uh, I think probably for both schools. But uh, anyway, something to keep an eye on. Florida might be shorthanded when they come to Oxford here. Is it 10 days? Yeah, here in 10 days from now. Wow, the season's sneaking up on us a little bit. That is right. That's 10 days away. So next Saturday. um, Wow, that came up quick. So there's your uh, Ole Miss news item of the day. Nothing else really from camp that I can touch on. We had a listener of the radio show uh, yesterday was frustrated with us for talking a lot about the Big Ten, and he said, why don't you guys talk about Uh, John Rice Plumley's improving passing ability. Well, it's because we don't know if he has improved as as a passer. You know, and I understand his frustration. Some of our listeners are frustrated with the lack of information, and I imagine uh, people um, 
like Neil McCready and Chase Parham and, and Ben Garrett and those guys, I mean, they're having more of a difficult time, I imagine, with not having anything to report on. I'm sure that they still are finding creative ways to do their jobs. I certainly think that they're good enough at their jobs to do it. But it is probably frustrating getting constantly asked, uh, like I know I am, uh, about like the quarterback battle when all they have to rely on is, is secondary information. And those guys have pretty good sources. I think the the one that I have talked to over the last few days about the quarterback battle is pretty good as well. But it's all stuff that we haven't been able to see with our own eyes, and certainly Lane Kiffin is not tipping his hand at all. So I would love to get here on this podcast and on the radio and, and tell everyone about the quarterback battle and if Plumlee's arm has improved or if Corral's decision-making has gotten better. And, and I really just I can't do it. I've heard, and a lot of people apparently have heard, so information is slowly leaking out, that Matt Corral has really taken the reins as the starting quarterback. Uh, In fact, uh, I've heard that they're exploring Plumlee in other positions, which I think is the right thing to do, but that's all we've got. That's all I've got for you, is I've heard this from somebody who is around, but that's really it. You know, that's all I've got for you. It is frustrating because I would love to break this kind of stuff down for you. I would love to have gone to the scrimmage on Saturday and tell you who looked good and who didn't and who went with the ones and who didn't, and I can't do it. It's frustrating as hell, but that's the exact right thing to do. I think we've talked about this before, but I think it bears repeating. This is exactly what Lane Kiffin should do. This is what, even though they kind of spilled the beans yesterday, this is what Mike Leach should do. Most everybody knew that K.J. Costello was going to be the starter, and K.J. Costello accidentally spilt the beans yesterday and said that he was taking all the reps with the ones, which I'm sure they didn't uh, want him to do that. Uh, But there's no reason whatsoever for Lane Kiffin to tell anybody who his starting quarterback is at all. There's no reason. I don't expect him to say it. If I were him, I wouldn't do it either. And every time I met with the media, I would compliment both guys And that would be it. Because even though information's kind of leaking out, and I'm sure if it's leaking out to me, then maybe the message has gone over to Florida. You know that Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham are having to spend every day preparing for what the offense would look with either guy. And the unique thing about this quarterback battle versus others is they're not really the same kind of quarterback. You see in some places where there's a quarterback competition and they're really kind of the same guy. And... Regardless of who wins, you're going to see similar looks and similar ability and stuff like that. When Ole Miss chooses their quarterback, and I think they already have done that, um, but when that decision was made, it's kind of a stylistic thing because they do different things. Now, I think Matt Corral is a better runner than people give him credit for. They will still have mobility at the quarterback position. They can use quarterback runs as part of their offense. However, he is a guy that has the arm talent to be an effective passer. More so that than his counterpart. John Rice Plumlee's a a better runner than Matt Corral. So you were kind of picking different styles. And because you haven't named a starter, and because I don't think they will name a starter until the offense trots on the field on Saturday against Florida, um, Todd Grantham has to prepare for both. And that's a good thing. That's what they should do. And so from a media perspective, it's kind of frustrating because I would love to give you guys information and break down scrimmages and stuff like that. It's good that... I can't do that when it, when it comes to their preparation for the game. Because Grantham has to guess. 
You want Florida guessing going into this game. From the Ole Miss side of things, Lane Kiffin and uh, Jeff Lebby and uh, DJ Durkin, Chris Patridge, they, they don't have to guess near as much as Florida is going to have to guess for Ole Miss. So, in, a, in part, it's because of COVID as well, but I, I don't think you would have gotten much practice access even without the coronavirus. Because why would you tip your hand to Florida? Because they have to guess. They can watch Michigan film. They can watch Maryland film. They can watch UCF film. And they can watch some games from last year and see the ability from either quarterback. But Florida's having to go into this game guessing a little bit. That's true. Ole Miss isn't having to guess as much. So I don't expect to hear anything on the quarterback battle. Nothing concrete. And to our our listener yesterday that was frustrated with us for not talking about it, it's because I haven't seen Plumlee throw. I mean, he he couldn't. There's a possibility that he hadn't gotten any better. I just I don't know. Nobody knows. But this is the right thing to do for Lane Kiffin. It's frustrating for me. I imagine for some of our listeners, it's frustrating as one expressed it yesterday. But I keep repeating myself. um, But it's true. This is the right thing to do. Florida's having to guess and. That that's the the correct way to go about the season opener. But I have heard that one has separated himself. But that is just only what I have heard. It very well could be a smokescreen. I don't know. But I have heard that, um, as others have as well, that there has been some significant separation uh, in the quarterback battle. Elsewhere on the Ole Miss news, I don't know if this is news or not, but I found this funny and I couldn't not play it for you. I hope he doesn't mind. Uh, Bunky Perkins on Twitter, he's a very popular, more popular than me, um, Ole Miss person on Twitter anyway. And uh, it looks like he used Cameo to get Johnny Sins to record an Are You Ready? So if uh, you've been living under a rock or, or you missed this, uh, Ole Miss's Stadium Cups this year were supposed to be, and they still might be, I guess, uh, like coronavirus heroes where they had people submit pictures of somebody that worked in the medical field that uh, worked closely with COVID patients this year. And one hero submitted a picture of a guy named Johnny Sins, who you could probably put together by the name, is a very popular male uh, adult film star. Um and it's a picture that's used in a lot of memes, but it's him in, in like a doctor's outfit. And it's front and center on these stadium cups. Now it's got like a red and blue tint and stuff, but it's clear as day. There is uh, Dr. Jonathan Sins right there on the cup. I still think that Ole Miss should just own that, man. I, I said this on the radio the day that it, that people discovered it. Just tweet like a winky face and say, Heroes come in different forms, or something like that. Just own it, because it's really funny. I mean, how was that? We had a listener text into the show and say, somebody in marketing needs to get fired for not catching that. And it's like, I mean, I only knew who that guy was because of Twitter memes, but if if I wasn't on Twitter and didn't follow certain accounts, I guess, I wouldn't have known who that guy was. I mean, how do you expect whoever is approving those photos to know who some adult film star is. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things where you got got by a funny guy. All right? So just own it. I think it's hilarious. And still, they could sell those cups for $20 a pop and make more than, I mean, 
10 times more. I don't know how much those cups cost in, in wholesale, but they can make a ton of money off those. I know a lot of people that have no affiliation with Ole Miss whatsoever that would spend 20 bucks to have a cup with Johnny Sins on it. I mean, just own it. It's funny. You got got. Everybody thinks it's funny. Just own it. It's harmless. It's not like the picture is provocative in any way. I mean, it's just him in a, a lab coat, you know? So just own it. I think it's hilarious. But um, I hope he won't, he won't mind me playing this for you. He put it on Twitter. He's Bunky Perkins. He's hilarious. And this is the best thing I've seen in a while on the internet. Uh, he used a website called Cameo. I think it's Cameo. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But uh, got Johnny Sins to record an Are You Ready? So here that is right now. I think this is so fun. They need to play this or use it. I swear. It's so funny to me. Um, anyway, here that is. I'm honored to be an Ole Miss hero on the 2020 Stadium Cup. I'm no hero, just a guy who plays one. But like a doctor, you have to be ready to rise to the occasion. So from your 2020 Ole Miss hero, I have one question for you. Are you ready? (laughs) He said rise to the occasion. (laughs) Oh, I think that's perfect. uh, Man, I love it. I really do. I think that's so funny. Just own it. Um, everybody would support you in that, I think. Other than that one listener that said somebody should get fired. Maybe I'm overthinking the whole uh, everybody would love it thing, actually, knowing that we got that message. Anyway, they should play that in the stadium, especially with 25% capacity because nobody's really going to see it anyway. Moving on, uh, last old Miss note before we get into this Big Ten thing. Terrence Davis was named yesterday as a second-team all-rookie NBA player. He uh, uh, was behind John Morant, Kendrick Nunn. uh, John Morant, Memphis, Kendrick Nunn in Miami. Brandon Clark, also a Memphis Zion on the first team, even though he's not uh, a guard. He was second-team alongside Tyler Hero, who had a great year in Miami. Uh, Terrence had 30 first-place votes. 31st-place votes for uh, all-NBA rookie team Uh, Kobe White was the other guard on the second team. P.J. Washington, you guys saw him play in college also uh, on the second team. But it's really remarkable uh, what he's done considering where he was not long ago where people were talking about how he should play football, that he made a mistake playing basketball, and he certainly, for... I mean, three years really didn't look like an NBA player. You knew he had the athleticism to become one, but the skill set just was not there. And the mentality. I mean, how many times did you see Terrence Davis get into early foul trouble because of frustration and boneheaded plays? And he just has not done that in the NBA. And it's a credit to Andy Kennedy, his original coach, and Kermit Davis. Uh, I mean, really got the best out of him. And then, of course, Terrence Davis himself. But that is huge for Ole Miss basketball. Uh, to not only have a player in the NBA, but have a guy like Terrence Davis, who, even though he's not a starter, I think he has the potential of becoming one down the road, or at least a high-minute, off-the-bench player. Um, He looks good in his stretches in Toronto this past season as a rookie, an undrafted rookie, as you guys know. And um, that's huge for the program, because they haven't had that. I mean, there's a small history of a couple of dudes getting a cup of coffee, but that's that's really about it. But having someone like this that is 
firmly in the rotation. Not so much in the playoff when they shrink rotations, but during the season, Terrence Davis played a lot. He played really well. Seems like he's going to be a mainstay in the league as long as he can stay healthy. And that's huge for that program. Because Kermit Davis can point to that and say, Terrence Davis, before I got here, was not an NBA player. I get here, and now he's on the second team all-rookie team. One year of my coaching, that's what I created. What can I do for you? That's their recruiting pitch now, and they've never really been able to use that because NBA presence in Ole Miss basketball just simply uh, just doesn't exist. And now it does. So that's really cool for Terrence, again, where he was not long ago to now is uh, pretty significant. But it's really good for Ole Miss basketball as well, having somebody like that that they can point to as a mainstay, potentially in the NBA, uh, really helps them in recruiting, I'm sure, and they're going to use it as they should uh, as a selling point for future players into the program. So really good stuff there. Uh, Happy for for Terrence. He seems like a good dude, and uh, good to see him having success in the NBA. All right, finally got the uh, Ole Miss stuff out of the way before we get to what is the biggest news in the sports world. Maybe not around here, but a lot of you I'm seeing uh, are talking about this. Uh, The Big Ten has now reversed course, and they will be playing college football this season. Uh, News leaked yesterday because uh, an official from Nebraska didn't realize that a microphone in front of his face would not pick up him saying that they're going to announce the return to football. Earlier this morning, Uh, The Big Ten Council of Presidents and Chancellors adopted uh, their return to play. And they're going to do it uh, on the weekend, starting on October 23rd and 24th. So there will be games on Friday, if I understand it correctly. And uh, yeah, the Big Ten is back. They have had a couple of press conferences already. Nothing really of note other than just the constant lying and spinning of this That's all that they have done so far. But a couple of things before I get into all that. Uh, Here are some of their their protocols, if you will. So the Big Ten Conference will use data provided by each uh, chief infection officer to make decisions about the continuation of practice and competition as determined by team positivity rate and population positivity rate based on a rolling seven-day average. Uh, Teams who have... A 0 to 2% positivity rate will be allowed to play. Over 2 to 5 um, will have to um, alter some things but can still play. And anything above 5%, uh, they can no longer play. They have to proceed with caution, but they can no longer play. They will be tested every single day. That is something that they're doing in the NFL. Uh, the SEC and, and others are not doing it that way. Uh, They are doing it three days uh, a week. The championship, the Big Ten championship, will be on uh, December 19th, which gives the league enough time to have a team in the college football playoff. December 19th is the last Saturday before Selection Sunday, if you will, for the college football playoff. But here's the thing. They're going to play nine games, but only eight of them are going to count for the conference championship. Here's how they're going to do it. They're going to play eight games that they will release uh, another schedule here in a little bit. And then the ninth game will either be the Big Ten Championship if you qualify, or they're going to just like add an additional game to your schedule based on record for the last game of the year. So everybody in the Big Ten is going to play on Big Ten Championship Day. So it's really good that they're back. I think 
logic prevailed, even though it took uh, all of this mess to get there. I'm really happy for the players. I think it's great that they're playing. I'm really happy for the uh, non-revenue sports maybe getting the Big Ten Network check. They're not going to let fans in the stands at, at, at all in any capacity. Um, maybe players' families, but no fans at all will be allowed during the season. But maybe that big check from the television dollars will help save some of these non-revenue sports. I hope that is the case. So I'm very happy for the football teams. I'm very happy for the non-revenue sports and the people that work in athletics that aren't making mega salaries. Uh, happy that hopefully they'll be able to keep their jobs. Of course, I still hate it for all the local businesses in these towns that depend on football in order to survive. Um, they're still screwed, and that stinks. But at least uh, these athletic departments will hopefully be able to continue on in their current structure without having to cut more sports. Uh, so this is a big win for all of them and everybody involved. But I can't help but really use today as just another example of it's it's hypocrisy and it's, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, with the way the media has covered this. With how... When the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 decided to push on. And the Big 10 decided to cancel. The tone that was directed towards the three Power 5 leagues that decided to play. And then the tone that you're getting with the Big 10 is so dramatically different. I mean, you guys remember this, right? When the SEC and the ACC decided to play, they better be willing to talk about why they decided that it was safe to play. They they need to go on record because this is shameful. All this crap that you saw, the constant, condescending, downward-looking tone towards the South and the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12. They said it was politically driven. They said it was ignoring science. They said it was... Um, Against player safety. You guys remember all this because I know I do. I ranted about it on this very podcast about how people tried to discredit the the head doctor of the ACC's medical team who's an infectious disease specialist from Duke who was educated in Melbourne, Australia, an Australian man, and they, they called it politically motivated that he wanted to save football to appease Trump. like that That's the kind of rhetoric you got when the SEC decided to play, that they don't care about player safety, that they're being reckless, they're being irresponsible, they're ignoring science. You got all of that crap directed towards the SEC. The Big Ten decides to play, and somehow they're the responsible ones. But they arrived at the same conclusion. You have now seen it with your own eyes. It's transparent the way national media looks at you in the South, the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12. You see how they operate. They carried the water for the Big 10 because the Big 10 gave them sources and also they confirmed their biases. They, they weren't willing to listen to the doctors in the ACC. I think his name's Cameron Wolf, right? The head doctor of the infectious disease specials from Duke. Nobody was willing to listen to him. When he said that he looked at everything as an infectious disease specialist and thought that they could push forward and play, nobody listened to him. They discredited him. 
that head doctor from the Mayo Clinic. He's a, a political conservative, and therefore we have to discredit him, even though he's an expert and apparently a very brilliant doctor and knows what he's talking about. Um, he voted for Trump. Oh, no. So we have to discredit him. That's what the, the tone that was taken when the SEC and the ACC decided to play. The Big Ten arrives at the exact same conclusion, and somehow they're responsible and they care about player safety. It's just amazing the spin that you have gotten. The Big Ten, in these national people that are still carrying the water for the Big Ten, claiming that they're handling this better than anyone else. No, they were a disaster. They screwed up. They were a disaster. The communication between the league office and the coaches was an embarrassment. Stringing the players along the way they did was an embarrassment. Completely misconstruing reports and data points with science was an embarrassment. Citing growing case numbers, which was inaccurate, was an embarrassment. Everything, Every step of the way, the Big Ten was an embarrassment. They didn't communicate. There, there was no united messaging. And yet, you have these national people that carried the water. They're, they did not handle this better than anyone else. And if you look at the way Greg Sankey and the SEC approached this, they were pragmatic, they were patient, they were smart, and they arrived at that same conclusion a month before the Big Ten did. But you saw it, blue check marks. Oh, I trust doctors from Northwestern over... Uh, all the others. Well, I can't. I can't even believe I'm giving these people this much time. But the Big Ten screwed up. This is not about changes in science. They're lying about that. The rapid testing that they're talking about um, that was available to Sunbelt teams a few weeks ago. Texas State and uh, SMU played, and they were getting rapid results tests weeks ago. So it's not that. That's a lie. It's an about face. They thought they were going to be able to shut down the season with little resistance and everybody's going to follow. And once they realized that nobody followed, they panicked and they're putting the season back on. The SEC is the king of college football. That's a fact. The Big Ten thought they were and they screwed up. This isn't about new science or anything like that. This is simply about them getting caught making a bad decision. And that's why they're turning it around. And you're going to see the columns today. The reporting. Oh, the Big Ten. Oh, man. They, uh, they relied on science and they were patient and all that, all that stuff. No, they got screwed. They got caught making a bad decision and they're panicking. This is an about face. They messed up. We get to play football, and that's a good thing for the players. But the spin that you're seeing is just so transparent. It is. It's so transparent. There are a handful of people that cover college football on a national level that are really good at what they do, that try to do an honest job, that cover it fairly, that look at it from... No side. They just do their jobs. The rest, this is what you get. Mind-blowing to me. 
And, and it comes from so many different places. It, it comes from political lines. I mean, that's when you saw people start discrediting Duke doctors or, or any doctors because they're potentially politically conservative, you knew that that was part of these guys' motivation. When they claimed it was, it was in the face of player safety and the SEC was being reckless, and no, this is what you get. At least you guys know now. It's transparent now. It's just exhausting. At least you have one, though, that's consistent. Christine Brennan, writing a column for the USA Today. Here is here's the headline. Note the date. September 16th, 2020. The day that the vaunted Big Ten became the SEC. It choked. It got scared. It sold its soul for football. My column on the darkest day in Big Ten history. And Gannett wonders why they can't sell papers anymore. Um, At least she's consistent, right? I mean, give her credit for that. She is consistent. She's not making an about face today. She's not still carrying the water for the Big Ten. So at least you deserve credit for that. But the the tone deafness to make that statement is is remarkable. It's hard to fathom, honestly, calling this the darkest day in Big Ten history. The same conference that had in a trainer abuse at least 160, sexually abuse at least 160 gymnasts at Michigan State, where you had a serial child rapist at Penn State, um, and his actions were covered up for decades in the name of football. Today, though, is the darkest day. (laughs) I cannot believe that that is going to run in newspapers. I mean, that's going to run nationally, USA Today. Ooh, but hey, at least she's consistent. As disgusting as that is, and remarkably tone deaf as that is, um, at least she's consistent, unlike most everybody else. Oh boy. They got caught. That's what happened. They got caught. It's as simple as that. They screwed up. Nobody followed when they thought they would. Signs didn't change. They're lying. They're lying. That's their commitment to player safety that that everybody tried to tout is is noble or whatever. Um, remember when that's what they cared about so much? They arrived at the same conclusion as the SEC. But we're the co- the corrupt ones around here. Remember, we're the the dumb and uneducated and corrupt ones around here. That's right. Um, arrived at the same conclusion. <laughs> Oh boy! At least they're back, though. I'm looking forward to watching it. I I think um, those kids deserve it, so I, I'm going to watch them because I think they deserve the right to play. And uh, kudos to them for speaking up for themselves and standing up for themselves. And the coaches at Ohio State and Michigan and, and everywhere that stood up for themselves. And Nebraska gained a lot of respect for Nebraska and Ohio State, especially during all of this, um, because of and even Jim Harbaugh. I mean, Jim Harbaugh protested uh, at uh, Let Them Play rally in their stadium. I gained a lot of respect for some of those guys. Um, Even if you think their motivation is not pure, 
Um, they did what's right by their kids. And uh, I'm excited to watch them play. So, all right, that'll do it for me on this Wednesday. Thank you so much for making the podcast a part of your day. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a rating uh, and a review. Uh, that would be much appreciated. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Go by LBs and see Greg. Tell him we sent you. And uh, we'll talk to you again on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.